Welcome to the Healthy Hair Podcast. Your host, Dr. Amy Brenner, is a board-certified OBGYN with additional certifications in functional and integrative medicine. This podcast is meant to help women find reliable, relevant information to help them feel better, look better, and live better. Here, you will hear in-depth information about hormones, sexual medicine, aesthetics, cosmetic gynecology, and functional medicine. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Healthy Herb Podcast. And today we're gonna talk about pee. Yep, that's right, pee. Specifically, pee in your pants. So I have a little story about this. Is just about a week ago, we came back from uh, being gone for actually a long period of time for sports and out to dinner and our whole family walks into the house and one of our dogs gets so excited. And when she gets really excited, she we call it excite pee. And my husband just gets so mad when the dogs are in the house or when they pee in the house. And all three of my kids basically chimed in and said, Dad, you can't get mad at Josie for peeing in the house. Like mom excite pees all the time. So anyway, um, this is something that I deal with um, when I laugh really hard. Um, I've had issues in the past that have gone because I've treated them. But I thought today we would bring on an expert to talk about pee or the medical term for it of pee in your pants is urinary incontinence. And so today we have um, one of my friends and colleagues, uh, Dr. Andrea Pazella, who's a board certified urogynecologist. So welcome, Andrea. Thank you, Amy. It's so great to be here. And it's a um, always a, a tough subject to talk about, but it's something that women need to know. And um, it's funny you say that story because you know, I hear this all the time, but it's really just it resonates to so many women. They just don't want to talk about it. And so it's so great to be able to voice this and, and talk about something that so many women experience and just don't want to say anything because they're afraid or they're embarrassed. So um, it's great to be here. Yeah. So before we get to talking about the specifics of urinary incontinence or leaky bladders, just want to fill uh, people in of uh, what what you do specifically. I know this is one of the one of the main things that that you do, but uh, a little bit about your background and your practice. Yeah, so um, I'm I'm trained in obstetrics and gynecology, like yourself, and I went to do a fellowship and. Um, specialized training in urogynecology, which is specialized in female pelvic disorders, mostly with women um, after childbearing, dealing with um, bladder issues such as urinary incontinence, leaky bladders, um, pelvic floor weakening, drop bladders, uh, which we call pelvic organ prolapse, and then a variety of other sexual dysfunction, postmenopausal changes, which we coin now the genital urinary symptoms of menopause. So we deal with a spectrum of, of very specialized um, urinary and pelvic floor issues that women um, go through perhaps um, as they age. And I um, have my own practice. Uh, it's now been 11 years um, where I had a vision to really um, emphasize allowing and, and having a practice which just 
allows women to come in and talk about these issues and exclusively treat um, those issues and um, give them a, uh, a variety of different treatments and having a, a, a novel approach uh, to um, this type of um, disorder. Yeah. And I'm so excited to have you because not only are you like truly the experts in this field being board certified in urogynecology, but you offer a lot of treatments, not just the tr traditional things that um, I'd say the majority of uh, gynecologists and urogynecologists offer that are covered by insurance. But you also and we'll get into it, have some some other more novel treatments that you know, may not have side effects and, and that type of thing. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I really pride myself in, as my practice has evolved to offer alternatives, um, although they may be non-insurance covered treatments, they can be really invaluable to the patient and her needs and her quality of life. And that's at the end of the day, my sort of um, mantra and my tagline is to have these patients regain their confidence. I really, you know, want to offer a practice where I can give them a spectrum of options and really um, offer something that sort of is something patient centric, which uh, the patients can say that they've been able to choose on their own. And um, I've had this vision f for many years and it just has evolved. And there's some really exciting things that I know we'll talk about today. Yeah. So, you know, when I talked even to my girlfriends, I would say all of us have dealt with pee in our pants. So how common is it and when do people need to go see a doctor for this problem? Yeah, I mean, up to... 50% of women will have some form of urinary incontinence at any time in their lifespan. And it could be very mild um, where they jump on the trampoline with their kids and they leak. Or like you said, you know, occasionally when your bladder is full, you may not get to the bathroom in time and you may have a little leak. But there are times where, and there's classic examples where women will come in and say, I leak when I cough, sneeze, laugh, jump, exercise. I can't go to the gym. I have to wear dark clothing because if I don't know where a bathroom is, I won't be able to get there in time and I may have an accident. They start to wear pads. They really start to um, have have uh, times where they don't want to go to the gym anymore or, or do things because of, of their issue. So um, we really have to, you know, be cognizant of of these symptoms and talk to them about it. The classic example is, like you said, that key in the door syndrome where a patient uh, will tell me that, you know, she's driving home from work and all of a sudden she gets her keys out and she's trying to get into the door and she's got to go to the bathroom. And she said, I didn't have to go to the bathroom when I was in my car. And all of a sudden I couldn't I couldn't hold it. And before she knows it, she's on the way to the bathroom and she can't get her pants down fast enough and, sh and she leaks. Fortunately, I have not had that issue but I really, uh, especially as a woman, I really can like, like 
identify with that. Like that's, you know, that's something that just isn't, isn't right. And so, um, these patients will come to me and often, and they say an average women's women will have, um, this issue and deal with it up to eight years before they, um, go to see a physician about it. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned the key in the door. I remember when I had like three babies and uh, on my day off from work, we would go to the zoo or that kind of thing. And I would literally pull into my driveway and I would tell the kids like, I'm going to be right back. I got to run in the house and pee. And because I wouldn't make it if I had to like unbuckle everybody from their car seat is I would pull in and run in the house, pee and then get my kids. But for me, after it must have been a postpartum thing because it went away because I don't have that issue anymore. Yeah. So childbearing is definitely one of our number one risk factors. I see so many women that will come in postpartum and they've been sent by their OBGYN and I'll just tell them, you know, these are things that um, happen. Your bladder gets stretched, uh, your pelvic floor weakens, you have, have muscles in your, in your pelvis that stretched or been either sometimes even torn after you deliver the baby. And sometimes that takes time to heal on its own. And oftentimes you'll have a lot of recoiling or healing on its own. But we as um, obstetricians, I'm sure you remember, no longer deliver babies, but we would tell our patients to start doing what are called Kegel exercises. And that's um, a form of, of basically contracting the pelvic floor muscles that you can actually voluntarily contract in your in your pelvic region. But oftentimes, uh, a lot of women, you know, are so busy, they just don't hone in on that and, and remember to do them. So um, that's sort of step one. So when should to, people to start doing Kegel exercises? And how often do you do How often do you recommend your patients to do it? And like what specific? Yeah, so I have a 3103 where they have um, three times a day, 10 repetitions. So it's a hold. So you contract, hold for three seconds and relax and then repeat. 10 times, three separate times a day. And it, it can be as, as soon as right after having having a baby and then kind of making it a routine. I have I have told patients and I even tell them myself, you know, there's there's opportunities like when you're sitting at a stoplight, you know, or when you're, you know, watching TV or just waiting, waiting for a phone call or waiting on a line in the grocery store. Just give yourself three times to 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 give you that opportunity to to work on your pelvic floor muscles. Then we have, and it's so great, like I have an example, my Pilates instructor, she was really funny. She didn't really know anything about what I did. And she started talking about zipping in your in your core and in your belly button going to your spine and and feeling those muscles in your pelvis and tightening them. And, and it was later on that I spoke to her and I, I told her what I did. And I said, this is such amazing because I'd never did Pilates before. I said, this is so great. Women need to know to do this. And, and, and I told her to tell them to focus on their pelvic floor and this will help prevent urinary issues in the future. And so she kind of incorporated into her routine. And I thought that was so cool because I could actually offer, uh, you know, some, some advice to her and, and incorporated in, in our exercise. So it didn't seem like a, a chore. You know yeah. What I mean? So that's something you can do to stay out of our office. Anything. 
Right. Anything else people can do to stay out of the doctor's office for this problem? I mean, I think, you know, I always tell women it's lifestyle modifications. You know, it's excessive um, use of caffeine because coffee can irritate the bladder and cause that overactive bladder, which we describe as the urge to go or the frequency of urination or feeling like they find a bathroom everywhere. And I ask patients, you know, all the time they're drinking, you know, we drink nowadays, we're drinking more coffee. We go to Starbucks, we get a vente coffee and there's just so much caffeine and we don't realize how irritating that is to the bladder. So I, I really try to emphasize just lifestyle modifications and thinking about what you drink and how much you drink. And I know we don't want to take all your vices away, but it's coffee, tea, and we drink a lot of sweet tea down here in the South, and that's sugar and caffeine, so a double whammy. And then alcohol. Alcohol can be very irritating. Um, I love to have my you know glass of wine at night, and and if I have more than two, I know that I'm going to be you know in the bathroom more than three or four times before I go to bed. Or you know, some women will say, I get up at night and I said, well, what are you drinking? And they said, well, I drink all my water when I get home because I don't have time to drink during the day. And then I'm, you know, I have a glass of wine. And, and so I have to be, you know, informative to them that I, you know, those are things that can really be bothersome to the bladder. So just good bladder health and do your Kegel exercises. There's, and there's many forms of, of pelvic floor, um, training uh, devices that you can even get online or there's the Leva that is something that is um, comes with an app with a coaching or you can even see a, a physical therapist where there's pelvic floor therapy and um, pe pelvic floor therapists that are specifically trained to help you isolate those muscles and give you some core exercises that you can do at home. And that's a specialized physical therapist, not the guy that helped you when you had your rotator cuff right. repaired, so right? women mostly um, that are specifically trained in pelvic floor therapy. So they have a, a subdivision of, of physical therapy. So yes, so there's specific pelvic floor therapists that, um, so I, you know, I search in my area in Columbia and we have actually, now we've grown so much because it is a really great field for these um, young female pelvic floor or physical therapists to get into. And we went from two to like nine in our area. So they are out there and we're in Columbia, South Carolina. So they are out there. And in the, some of the major cities, um, there are even some pelvic floor specialists that are in um, pelvic floor specialists um, like myself, urogynecology practices. Yeah. So I'm sure you've had this uh, where patients come in and say, well, my friend got Botox in the bladder or my friend takes this medicine for her bladder and I want that. And you and I both know it's not that simple and there's different kinds of incontinence. So uh, I'd love to hear how you explain to your patients um, the different types of incontinence and then we can get into how, how we treat those different types of incontinence. Absolutely. So I hear them because the symptoms of the patient are is very important in making the diagnosis. Again, we talked about that classic patient that says, I, I leak when I jump on my trampoline or when I go to the gym, I'm trying to do CrossFit now. That's a one big thing. Now it's so funny where so many women are doing these box jumps and doing all these um, CrossFit exercises that are really 
creating a lot of force um, and, and pressure on their bladder. And so the, so the symptoms in and itself can really make the diagnosis. And so I try to uh, explain to them there's different types of incontinence and it's treated different ways. And so when a woman explains to me they have that, I explain to them, well, this is stress urinary incontinence, not because you're stressed. <laughs> it's because your <laughs> bladder has stress on it. So any increase in intra-abdominal pressure when you jump, laugh, cough, sneeze, bend, you're putting force down on your bladder and your bladder neck. So there's some weakness there al along the bladder neck. And so you're not able to hold in the urine. So I'll talk to them about uh, treatment options when I, I give them the um, diagnosis. And so they'll go, I'll go over uh, pelvic floor exercises and there's a spectrum. So there's pelvic floor exercise you can do at home, like we said, Kegels, then um, more formal pelvic floor with, with physical therapy. Uh, then on the other side of the spectrum, now, I talk to them. Let me ask you, do you get a lot of patients that will are interested in going to pelvic physical therapy? Well, it's tough because it is, it is, I tell them it is, it's like anything you have. It's like when you have a gym, it's ongoing, you, you got to keep doing it. You have to join the gym and you have to go. You're not going to get the results unless you go. And so, um, and often it is, you know, it, it is women working full time. They don't have time to do it. And I'm, I myself, I, I mean, I literally would say I have no time to go to PT. So that's why home therapy could be a viable option. And, um, and then patients who are like, well, I just want it yeah. fixed. I don't want to, I don't want to yeah. pee myself anymore. So that's the patient where yeah. then I start talking and exploring about. I just didn't know if in your practice, you had more people taking you up on that. Because when I bring that up, I don't remember the last time I've had somebody interested in PT for incontinence. Now I use pelvic PT for lots of other things, but for incontinence, at least in my practice, I, I haven't heard people that want to do that. I didn't know if it was different since you're a urogynecologist and this is the main thing you see versus I'm still talking about birth control and right. STDs and fibroids and things like that. I think there's some people that will be interested, but then they say, you know, I really don't have time. And I have to give them the stats. I have to say, look, you go, but you have to do it. And in the best case scenario, if you are dedicated and you do the exercises right now in the literature, it's only 50% reduction in your, in your symptoms. So you have to really kind of be you know, if it's a woman that has mild, you know, she leaks occasionally, it may be a great way to be sort of preventative and reduce mm -hmm. her 50%. But then I have options such as like our our classic sort of standard, gold standard mid-urethral sling, which is a, a minimally invasive procedure. They do go under uh, a light anesthetic. And we basically resupport the bladder neck. Now, there are some women that are really fearful of surgery and really don't want to have to take time off from work. And I get that. So we also have other agents um, like urethral bulking, which uh, kind of like if you think about fillers in the face and, and aesthetics, women want, you know, they want their their lips full or they want their cheeks full. Well, you, we can actually do that in a sense in their bladder neck. And, and you do that in your practice, too, don't you? Yeah. So we offer it in yep. office. There's no downtime. It's uh, minimally invasive hardly any pain at all because we uh, we anesthetize with 
a lidocaine and they walk out of my office and I tell them they can go to the gym the next day. And the new bulking agents that we have on the market, which, which, which are um, durability is five years now, and they can see about 80% effectiveness. So hmm. I sort of offer those sort of FDA standard approved by the insurance companies options. And then I'm, I'm really excited because I have like a, a lot of tools in my toolbox. Like we talked about, I can talk to them about alternatives. I tell them that there are some other alternative therapies we have in the practice. We have a Mcella chair. It's an electromagnetic um, chair that has a cone of electromagnetic impulses that when you sit on the chair for 30 minutes, it basically contracts the muscles for you and you sort of, sort of passive. They don't have to go to the physical therapist and they don't have to do the home therapy and they could just sit there and get their therapy on the chair. Um, we also have, uh, Thermiva, which is a radio frequency. It's a heat therapy. So what we're doing is we're heating up the tissue, just like, again, in aesthetics, you're heating up the skin on the face, helping with fine lines and wrinkles, tightening the skin. This is tightening the vaginal walls and tightening the connective tissue in the deeper surface of the vaginal walls, helping with strength in the um in the pelvic floor, in the connective tissue. So these are things that I start talking about and they raise an eyebrow because they're like, hmm, this may be, you know, a nice way to not have to go through surgery. Right, because we have uh, a radio frequency device too called Votiva, which is similar to um, uh, Thermiva like you have. And I found really great results with that, with mild to moderate incontinence. And people get side benefits of some vaginal tightening, helping with vaginal dryness, maybe helping with sexual function. Um, and at least in my experience, when you talk, start talking about slings and you use the word mesh, that starts freaking people out. So they're interested in these alternative treatments that... I haven't found any side effects from what, what have you found? Yeah. So they might have not seen any side effects and my patients um, really feel that they're not quite ready and right. You're, you're absolutely right. When you, when you say this is a mesh sling, that is sort of a curse word and it's sort of voodoo um, with all the, uh, you know, notoriety with, with mesh and pelvic floor and all the lawsuits. So there's just scared to go over that and, and they don't even want to talk about it. So I've found in my practice, when I offer Thermi, they have no downtime. They have, I've had, haven't seen any, um, side effects at all. Maybe a little tenderness afterwards, or they feel like they, one patient I had, she said she she had a little feeling like she had a UTI, but it was ne her urine was negative, so she just had some irritated bladder symptoms. But other than that, I mean, we really see some great results, and we've also incorporated um, in and in, I know you have in your practice, um, which we use PRP, which is platelet rich plasma, which is something that has been really a, a interesting alternative in uh, the arena of gynecology and neurology, I feel that is something that 
they've been using for years and years in um, orthopedics, sports medicine, plastics. And I explained to patients that in the last 10 years, we've really pioneered the use of um, platelet-rich plasma as sort of a stem cell, creating new um, uh, tissue into the genital urinary uh, area. And it has really kind of been a breakthrough alternative, which I've incorporated in my practice. And um, I've found some great results with because it's the patient's own blood spun down and concentrated platelets returned back into the patient. It's um, homogeneous. So I tell them, I said, you can't you can't you've never seen we'll see a reaction because it's your blood and mm-hmm. I've had no infections. There's, there's no, no, um, allergic reactions and, um, we haven't seen any side effects. Right. And no downtime. And for me, um, you know, we call it the O shot in our practice. I, I don't know if you call it the O shot in your practice. Yes. We do. Yeah. So and I tell people, you know, as the name implies, it was originally developed to make orgasms better. But now that doctors have been across the world, really have been using it for, I don't know, 10 years plus now is now I use it for a non-surgical treatment for incontinence or even dryness. Um, You mentioned CrossFit and I actually like to go to CrossFit and prior to getting me personally getting the O shot, if we were doing jump ropes in CrossFit, I would say I'm going to get on the bike. Like I don't do jump ropes because if I had shorts on, there would literally be be like a puddle on the floor (laughs) and may, yeah, maybe I would do it if I was wearing leggings, but not shorts. And then now I just try to get an O shot like every, I don't know, nine to 12 months. And now I can do jump ropes when I go to CrossFit. So, um, so that's really, that's really helped me. And I'm sure you've seen similar results in your practice. Yes, I I think that as an alternative, and sometimes you can even combine. I've now sort of coined the Thermi O, where we're combining the Thermiva, which is the radio frequency treatment, with the O shot. So they'll receive the um, um, radio frequency therapy, which is about a 30 minute treatment, um, plus or minus. And then we follow up with, um, delivering the O shot right after the treatment. And so you're kind of putting dovetailing both, um, treatments. So you're, you're treating skin, connective tissue, and then the O shot, if you will, will, will help to restore and regenerate, um, collagen, uh, blood supply and uh, new nerve cells in that area. So it's really a nice combination. And I've had a lot of patients sign up for that because they they just are wowed because I said, listen, your vagina is skin, connective tissue and muscle. And we need to work on all of them to get you mm-hmm. better. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And sometimes I'm sure you get that too, is you, you probably tell people like, oh, here's all the options. And then Usually people decide, at least in my experiences, sometimes it's either money and or downtime that make people decide, am I going to go for the sling or am I going to do these alternative treatments? Um, and sometimes people are like, I have to go with what's covered by insurance because these the OSHA, radio frequency, MCELA, those aren't covered by insurance, at least in Ohio. I would assume that's the same in South Carolina. Yep, same. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so it's usually insurance or downtime. And then people say, well, you told me all these options, which one should I do? And I totally agree with you. Like as with anything, combo therapy is better. It's kind of like when you want to lose weight, like, should I change my diet or should I work out? And, uh, you get better results when you do both. So same thing here is I think people get even better results when they combine those therapies. Absolutely. And I even throw in the M cell chair sort of as an extra. I said, listen, you can do the Thermi O and I'll just have you go on the M cell chair. And I kind of, it's a, it's a no brainer. And they're like, okay. And so we get them in for the three. So I get a little package. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. Yeah, I'm get, I bet you're getting great results having um, triple modality, not just uh, dual modality. Absolutely. And, and it's always nice to give the patient the options. And I love having that conversation with the patients and being really open about it. And I get really excited. And so they can see my excitement and they can see how I've seen patients happy and they've gotten their life back and they, they come back to me and they're like, why didn't I do this sooner? And I said, well, we didn't have yeah. this technology yeah. <laughs> years ago. So you're, you've come to the right place, you know? Yeah. It's, it's just great that we both have options and you can talk about the pros and cons and what everybody's individual needs and budget and situation. Uh, it's just great to have options versus before this, it was okay. You could do the sling or kind of live with it. And that's the, that's the funny thing too, Amy, so many primary care doctors or even the, um, some of the just re- routine they go to see their OBGYN they're they're told it's 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 going to happen you should just live with it and um, that's why we need more patient education and awareness so that they know that these options are out there and so that's where people like us need to really um, continue to create a movement to off to be able to offer information like you said, you know, these are things that all of us experience at some point in time. And, you know, at this point, we need to make sure that women know that there's alternative options out there. Yeah, just that that is probably one of my pet peeves in medicine is when I hear people say, well, my doctor said I just need to live with it. No matter what we're talking about is um, in, in most cases, that's not that's not their only option. Right. And I, and I think that when I get excited when a young woman comes into my practice and she's just wanting to know the options because I'm like, this is where you start. Because unfortunately, when I do see these women, when they don't treat it, I tell them the the risk of not treating incontinence is that it gets worse. And then it's mm-hmm. it's much more challenging to treat it. So... I really get excited when I see a younger woman in her 40s that, you know, is finished with her childbearing and she's doing CrossFit and she wants she doesn't want to, you know, leak urine when she's box jumping. And I when I talk to her about the alternatives and she's like, wow, this is exciting. I never knew I could do this. And it, it's just a it's easy because they're like, yeah, I want to I want to start now. And I'm like, and you should, because then you won't have the problem when you, when you turn 50, like 52, like me, postmenopausal and (laughs) things start changing and your hormones are changing and your, your vaginal walls are changing because you have lack of estrogen. And so they're like, I'm sold. They're like, 
Start me now. Yeah. As with everything, it's it's just so much easier to treat when it's when it's early on. So have you found like when people have severe incontinence, meaning like they just completely empty their bladder just by standing up that things like OSHOT or radio frequency are less likely to help them versus at least that's what I found versus if they yeah. have mild I mean, to moderate that. That's when yeah, I definitely get work my better. clinical hat on and evidence-based medicine and I let them know they are not going to, I, I just don't feel comfortable even offering it to them because I know they're not going to get the results that they would want. And so that's where I tell them that with those cases, and that's more of a urge incontinence um, where the patient can't get to the bathroom in time and they leak or they have no control. I tell them there's other options and we go down a different care pathway in respect with that, that's like you mentioned Botox, where yeah, um, yeah we so can perfect. Relax so that. this is the other other class of the most common type of incontinence is urge incontinence. Right. So so that's a whole different type of incontinence treated a different way. So we talk to them about the lifestyle modifications, like we mentioned, the caffeine and the alcohol and just how much we drink. And then there's medications. What you're doing is the bladder muscle is is contracting involuntarily. So you want to be able to relax that smooth muscle wall, the bladder, so that they're not um, so they can store the urine. I tell patients that your, your bladder is basically a storage tank and it needs to hold and store your urine until you're in a socially acceptable place where you can then go to the bathroom. Well, sometimes our bladders just have a mind of their own and then they contract involuntarily. And so there's a problem with the pathway between the messages between the brain and the bladder. And that's really how I simplify it. And they realize they're like, okay, I get it. So medications, um, things like Botox where therapeutically we can infuse and diffuse Botox into the bladder and it actually gets into the muscle wall and it stops just like in our face, it stops the muscles from contracting, causing us to have nice smooth skin. I tell them that it just relaxes the muscles in the bladder, causing you to have a nice smooth bladder so that your bladder can hold and store the urine. We have other. And unlike the face, when we put it in the face, it's an aesthetic treatment. It's not covered by insurance. But is Botox in the bladder covered by insurance typically? Yeah, because it's a therapeutic. So we have therapeutic and then cosmetic treatments for Botox. And um, therapeutically, because it is a FDA approved therapeutic option for um, overactive bladder and it's recognized by the American Urology Association, it is covered by your insurance. Okay. How about medications? Um, I remember that commercial, like, got to go, got to go, got to go right now. And yeah. so sometimes people just say, well, can I just take that pill? And and many women will. I mean, I have we have up to an 80 percent reduction in your urge incontinence just with medications alone. We just have to be careful, though. There's a lot of side effects with the medications. And that that commercial, I think, really kind of resonated and really made um, everybody know about um, that condition, which was great. And that was Detrol. And, uh, it's really kind of paved the way for overactive bladder. And, um, yeah, so there's a lot of new medications out there as well that have less side effects, which is great. So I really try to push them. We just have to be careful because the medications, unfortunately, are cost prohibitive. We really find that they are, get to be expensive with insurance companies nowadays, just not, just not paying for, um, appropriate medications that women should be on. But we have a lot of medications out there that 
can be very um, easy, simple to take once a day. You can take it with or without food, and it really can reduce your symptoms by 80%. What do you think about, is there any association or increased risk of dementia with those types of medications that people need to be aware of? Yeah, so that uh, is the category of what we call anticholinergics. It's a particular category that that drugs, for example, Detrol is in and there has been a um, recent um, consensus um, from the American uh, Urology, um, I'm sorry, Urogynecology Society, where um, there have been in the literature clinical studies that have shown that there is an increased risk um, of early onset dementia uh, with long-term use of anticholinergics. So I have to really counsel my patients now, and I'm much more hesitant giving them particularly to our older patient population where they may have other risk factors um, for memory or uh, dementia. And so you have to explain to the patient they may only be able to be on this medication for up to maybe five years because they saw that after 10 years, these were definitely um, increased risks. Yeah. Do the do the newer ones like Mirmetric have that risk or just the older ones? So no, so we have not seen Mirmetric um, or now the newest one on the market, Gemtessa, another beta agonist, um, works on a different side of the bladder. So there's different receptors and it works on the different side. So it does not affect across the what we call the blood brain barrier. It doesn't affect the um, central nervous system. Yeah. The problem is, is at least what I found is that the newer ones, either they're not covered or they're so expensive and then people have to use the older ones, but they don't want to use the older ones because of the side effects of dry mouth and constipation, you know, just dry everything and the risk of dementia, but those are inexpensive or covered and then the newer ones aren't. So it's right. frustrating. Just like I said, so the, the newer ones can be very costly. And, and a lot of times, and it's just so ironic, the insurance companies will come back and say, well, we won't cover this, but they'll have to take Detrol or Oxybutynin or the, one of the other um, drugs that cause all the side effects. And it's just doesn't make any sense. So I'm hoping over time with more um, data on these anticholinergics that they will be able to will be able to at least fight our fight, if you will, and get the patients to get covered on the newer medications that have less side effects. Yeah. What about some of those newer things? I see you on Facebook traveling across the, the country teaching and speaking about devices and neuromodulators. Yeah, so Sacral neuromodulation, which is a long word, um, basically nerve stimulators, have been out for over 20 years. And it's been um, really in the last four years, the technology's advanced. There was there's another um, competitor device out there, which kind of just sort of up the ante, if you will, um, bringing on um, improved technology, smaller device. Uh, a lot the devices were not MRI compatible, so we had a lot of patients. Now everybody's getting MRIs and skipping the CT scan, and um, longevity. So 
you were able to wear the generator only for about three to five years and the battery would have to be replaced. So that would be bringing the patient back into the operating room and taking the battery out and putting a new one in. Now it's up to 15 years. So there's really been a lot of um, advances in technology and it's exciting because I'm on the sort of the cutting edge and uh, being a key opinion leader in this um, arena has been really exciting because now we're even um, not only sacrally, which is really the central part or in our tailbone, but we are actually even um, implanting devices now in the ankle where it's uh, targeting the posterior tibial nerve. So the nerve that branches down our leg, which is a root of the um sacral nerve, which is a root of the nerves that control the bladder. So it's an indirect way and it's a little less invasive and um, they can have the ability to do therapy at home and wear a device long term and they don't have to worry about, um, there's very minimal downtime, they don't have to worry about uh, if they have any back issues, having something, a sacral stimulator in their back. That's so cool. That's I'm sure that's why you love medicine. I love medicine is just so many new things coming out. So it's just always exciting. Yeah, I love it. I love seeing new technology come down the pipeline and finally um, having, you know, these women health divisions in some of these big companies like Medtronic and Axonics and just dedicating to women and men are we use these devices for men but women have much more of a predominant problem and with incontinence um really dedicating in that space and it's just uh i love being able to offer these things to my patient and i and it's funny they know they like i get excited and they're like you're so excited about this does it work and i'm like i wouldn't be talking to you about it if it didn't work and I, I was part of the clinical trials for Axonics, and we had over 94% responder rate after in our two-year uh, clinical data follow-up. Yeah, that's really exciting. And these are statistics and that what we about never the were able to tell patients before. Yeah, that's really exciting. What about the your alternative treatments, the Amcella, O-Shot, radiofrequency? Are you using that with urge incontinence or strictly for stress incontinence? You know, I do because if they have some mm-hmm. urge and they want to, you know, like I said, it's a whole, I think the Amcella is really um, interesting. It's, it's really been helpful for um, my overactive bladder patients as well, and I'll offer it to them. I tell them it's not going to be, um, it may be something, again, dual therapy maybe medication and Amcella or uh, Botox and Amcella. I, I, I'm sort of bimodal therapy 100%, you know, and um, I try to be careful with the thermi. I tell them they may have some, you know, definitely, like you said, it has some benefits of postmenopausal changes, the vaginal dryness, help with sexual function, helps with tightening. So if they want those things too, they kind of come in with a lot of these different genital urinary symptoms of menopause. I'll say, well, maybe an additional additive benefit would be to help with some of your overactive bladder symptoms, but you may actually need other treatments. Mm-hmm. So I set them up yeah like that all right well before you go I have two like just random questions and and then uh we'll let you get back to seeing patients but my first question I get from a lot of patients that you know have a big 
mass in their pelvis, usually fibroids, and they also have bladder leakage. And the question is, is, well, should I address that now while you're going in there? Or should I just have my hysterectomy and see if all this, all these fibroids are putting pressure on my bladder and see if that fixes my problem? Well, I think that the fibroids, and I tell patients all the time, the fibroids could be maybe causing more pressure, but Ultimately, it's a bladder issue, and it is due to maybe pelvic floor weakness. Even if we took the fibroids out, and I see so many women come back and say, well, I had my hysterectomy, but I'm still leaking. So you definitely have to address both, particularly if the fibroids are bothersome or they're having other issues with the fibroids, such as bleeding, then they do both have to be addressed. Perfect. Then the last question is, everybody knows you should be drinking water. Water's healthy, helps you lose weight, helps you detox, that kind of thing. But uh, at least for me, when I go on the, okay, I'm going to be better about drinking water, I find myself like, okay, I see a patient, I have to pee. See a patient, I have to pee. So how much water should we be drinking? And, you know, when is it a problem that I need to see a, a doctor for this? I tell patients anywhere from 36 to 42 ounces of water is what our bladder, you know, for good bladder health, what our body needs. And we all drink more than that. I know so many women that are on diets, they come in and they said, ever since I started this diet, I have to drink 100 ounces of water a day, my leaking got worse. And so I really try to tell them that, unfortunately, yeah, if you want to drink the water, that's great, but you're going to start having this problem, then you have to cut back. And I, I do tell them that our body... Um, we get water in food, we get water in all the other things we drink. So we have to just be mindful of, of cutting back if we find that, uh, particularly at night, women will come home and drink more before they go to bed at night and they're getting up two, three times at night. So I really try to help them manage their, their water intake in the evening. Yeah. So helpful. Well, this was so helpful. Um, I think the take home message for women is you don't have to live with it because there's so many options uh, for treatment. So thank you so much for joining us. And before you leave, can you let people know of how they can find you? Yeah. So um, I'm in Columbia, South Carolina. My website is www.southurogyn.com. And we are on Facebook. South Eurogyne and Instagram. Thanks so much for joining joining us. I'll Thank you, Amy. All right. You take care. I appreciate it. You have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Her. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and the web. Go to www.dramybrenner.com to learn more. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute as medical advice, the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare services. No patient-physician relationship is formed. The information in the podcast and any references, material, or links are at the sole discretion of the listener and not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should not delay or disregard obtaining medical advice for any medical issues or diagnoses that they may have and should seek medical advice from their healthcare provider for any such conditions.